All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. everybody welcome back to another atl on fire episode i am joined by dave katz who just is fresh off soccer practice right that's correct and if you guys are not subscribed to atl on fire it's easy just find us on youtube atl on fire google us atl on fire you'll get the latest scoop on all things atlanta united what's our slogan dave we talk about it all we do talk about it all and, uh, yeah, we've got uh, two games to recap. We've got new signings, new coaches. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun one. New coach? What? <laughs> I know. But before we get into all of that, what are we drinking here? We are drinking the uh, Petite Petite. Uh, it's a uh, Petite Syrah from uh, Lodi, California. It's delicious. Oh, Lodi. Is that, is that the Lodi from... Isn't there a song, Lodi? Mm -hmm. Does that have anything to do with the region? Or I think so. Oh, okay. Never put that together that that was a wine region. I think it is. Oh, I'd die young there, too. <laughs> I have never been there, so I don't claim, you know, firsthand knowledge. But So the summer transfer window has not disappointed with drama, both at Atlanta United, but maybe let's actually talk about maybe some of the biggest news in the last 20 years of football, right? The greatest player uh, on the planet. It's my opinion. It's the right opinion. Um, it's also been statistically proven. If you check 538.com, which is one of my favorite websites, um, they do statistical analysis and <clears throat> they analyze across a whole bunch of different categories and every single player in the modern era. Um, and Messi is off the charts compared to everybody, including Ronaldo, um, on the, all of those statistics. Well, look, there was there was actually a silly moment. I think I was actually arguing with with you maybe at the tin roof about um, the the real Ronaldo from Brazil, the original Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo being better. And then you were talking about Messi, and I was I was not watching a lot of soccer at that point in time. I had young kids, and mm -hmm. uh, hard to find the time to really enjoy uh, Messi and didn't have access to La Liga and all of that. Right. And then I went and watched a YouTube video of Messi and I came back to the bar <laughs> the next week and I said, you're right. Not even, a, it's not even, the guy has highlights that, you know, a lot of highlights where they edit out where like he didn't make the goal after doing something silly. Mm -hmm. He did that over and over and over again, like making people look silly and finishes it or makes it a ridiculous assist. I mean, the well, guys, it's so funny. They're like in the analysis, you think, okay, right. You know, he's clearly number one in goals scored per game, you know, total goals scored consistency, whatever, but you know, and he's left footed. Right. So, um, you think, okay, you know, he scores a lot of goals with his left foot, but He's number one in goals in left foot. He's number one in goals in right foot. He's even like in the top in the goals with his head. Yeah. Like, like just 
things that you would never imagine, right? Yeah. You know, he just has, can do it all. Yeah, I think that first goal he had in England against the England team was against your team, Man U, and he had that kind of little lean back header. And uh, yeah, little- in the Champions League, um, he torched Man U. Like they assigned the entire team to stop him, and and he still scored two goals, and it was yeah. just ridiculous in the Champions League final. Um, yeah, I mean, there's never been a player. Nah. Like that. There's never been a player who could do it. There's been players perhaps that have done it for a season, you know, maybe two, but I mean, yeah. the guy's been doing it that way for what, 15 years. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I agree like Maradona, like when he was in a shorter window of kind of, uh, but I would just say similar type of magic that Messi's consistently done for almost 20 years of just making people look silly. So anyway, everybody knows Messi's amazing. When he debuted, you know, he was 16 years old, and uh, in the press conference they were asking him, you know, because he was such a hyped prodigy and whatever, and they said, were you intimidated? And he said, no, not at all. He's like, I've been playing for Barcelona for years. And they said, no, 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 we mean like, you know, with the first team, this is your debut. And he said, oh, um, I've been debuting for the first team for years on FIFA because I substitute myself for Ronaldinho on the game. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> so, so even at 15 years old, he was playing with himself on the FIFA game, you know. Well, uh, La Liga is certainly in trouble, uh, but I think taking their medicine, I guess, they didn't bend or break for Barcelona and – yeah. Uh, their ability to 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 wiggle with uh, the financial troubles that they're in, and um, thought that you know, I guess Barcelona thought they're going to be able to get away with that as pressure against La Liga, and you know, played the we've got a contract and agreement in place from both parties, but La Liga was like, uh-uh. they tried to clearly force it through, yeah, and, and uh, nope, yeah. And <laughs> I think La Liga just uh, realized they've got to take their medicine and. Uh, and, and well, those clubs, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona have been, particularly Barcelona, have been living above their means for, for quite a while. I um, mean, just, you know, not just, um, you know, the more famous things are the Galacticos at, at Madrid and then a lot of the, you know, famous signings, um, even the wasted signings, like a hundred and something million on Coutinho, which everybody knew was a bad deal right from the beginning when they bought him from Liverpool. But... Um, it's not just that. Like Barcelona has an enormous um, squad and an enormous, you know, um, youth academy, and they spend tons of money on tons of players, which you know is good. It brings through players, but they didn't bring in that money, so they were living above their means for a while. It's just it's crazy though. No, I mean just how ridiculous the compounding mistakes are, even into this year with the the signings they made uh, with. Memphis Depay and uh, Sergio Aguero, right? Like, they're still, like, I mean, there's, like, no lessons learned. It's incredible. Well, they signed those players to make Messi happy, which is so ironic and so crazy because, of course, now Messi's gone. And, you know, Sergio Aguero turned right around and almost demanded a trade. He doesn't want to be there anymore. He only came there to play with Messi. And now he's injured for eight or ten weeks. Yeah. Oh, God. What a disaster that is. But anyway, let's get to the big big punchline is he landed in Paris Tuesday morning. Yeah. I posted the the airline tracker on our our Twitter so people could follow that. But then I was watching, like, the live YouTube, just the insanity of – 
Like, could you imagine if Messi was landing in your city? Like, how awesome that would be? Well, he's coming to MLS, clearly. And actually, you know, the thing that... You think so? Yeah, and because um, here's the thing, right? So Barcelona was about to sign him to a five-year deal. Right. Right? Paris Saint-Germain only signed him to a two-year deal. And why, you know, it's called a money and they can't afford, you know, a long-term deal. But because he agreed to a short-term deal, that means he's not long for Europe. And that means that in two years, I think he's coming to MLS. Yeah, I think I, I think maybe. He has said over and over that he's interested. Yeah, so he'll be, what, 36, moving towards 37 at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zlatan was around that age when he played mm-hmm. for Galaxy, so not not out of the realm of still being able to perform. He's, well, the, he's inter- messy. the interesting thing is, you know, the players who rely on quickness tend not to age well. And Messi's always been a player who relied on quickness, right? So you got to figure, mm, you know, those are the guys who get start to get injured and they lose a step, they lose their game, they, they don't really transform. A guy like Zlatan never relied on quickness, and so he's fine. He's just been strong and, right. and, and you know, he's got great skills. The thing that you don't know is that Messi has defied the odds on everything. Like for a guy who dribbles and gets fouled that much, how does he not get hurt? Um, I don't know. So, not going. Yeah, yeah. so if it's Messi, a miracle, so he's if, a miracle guy. If Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe stay healthy, though, like I mean, and with I mean, they got Ramos well. First and, of all, Neymar is never going to stay healthy. He's never been healthy. Um, Messi, you got to figure it's going to start to catch up to him. You got to figure he's going to injured, but he's never been injured really. Yeah. So. And I, you know, as much as I cannot stand Neymar for his antics, mm-hmm. God, he's good. Like even in the even He's in the Copa, the Copa America, like even at the end there, I wish when they, I wish he would play like he did at the the very last five minutes of the game against Argentina. He actually got stuck in and went forward. People are like trying to tackle him. Like if he yeah. could just play like that all the time, that's how Messi plays. That's why he's the best player in the world. And Neymar has uh, you know all the goods, but he just brings too much drama to it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what there is else to say except, you know, it's a little silly that uh, the Farmers League has one team, right, that is <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain. And I like how you refer to it as the Farmers League. Well, even even <laughs> they made a joke yeah. about that on their Twitter, about the yeah. Farmers, like, the hey, the Farmers League... Uh, has like some of the goat has another goat or something like that. <laughs> and they showed all like the jerseys of pretty much. Every other well, you know, once upon a time, the French league was just dominated by Olympic Marseille, but then they had the cheating scandal and they were, I think bribing referees is my recollection. Um, and um, they got, you know, penalized and it all went to heck. And then Paris St. Germain is only, you know, recently been the big club. You would think Paris would be the big club because yeah. it's the big city, but it's never been. Um, it's not that old of a league, though, is it? Is it started? Did it start in the seventies? That I don't know. I Le- mean, they, League Un, I think, is not. I think it's one of the younger European leagues, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I really only started following in the eighties. You know, when I was five years old. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I will say that, you know, uh, my favorite team, you know, AC Milan, um, you know, signed Jean-Pierre Papin from France. He was the best player, and he was, I believe, played at Olympic Marseille. Um, you your, know, so it was a AC big AC Milan club was your, your favorite team when you were a kid? Because you're a Man U guy, right? Yeah, you know, the hit, my history in soccer is, of course, you know, in um, 1980, 
um, soccer was not uh, on TV in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, in the New York City area, um, you could get a European game of the week that was on the Italian language channel. <laughs> that you could, you know, if you held the antenna just right, you could get when um, you could watch in Italian. And and of course, at those days, the only two teams on the European game of the week were Manchester United and AC Milan, right? So those were my teams. It's the only teams I knew the yeah, players from. That's, that's fair. That's fair. So people are like, "You're such a homer." You followed the best teams, but I'm like, that's the only teams I literally even saw. Right. That's why, like in the '80s, I was a you know, I kind of like Joe Montana and the 49ers because you couldn't watch a Falcons game; it was like blacked out. And sure. The the 49ers <laughs> were always on, so I was like, yeah, this Joe Montana guy is pretty good. Yeah. So, so with, I can talk about Rice. those early '90s AC Milan teams with Baresi and Donadoni and Hulet yeah. um, and Von Boston and Reichard and um, you know they had great teams, and then and Maldini. Um, and then, you know, the Manchester United teams, you know, even going back to Kinshelskis and um, Cantona and um, McAllister and Bruce in the back. And, yeah. you know, so those are my teams. So um, what do we got here next, right? We've got... Uh, well, I think the obvious transition... No, no, we're not going there yet. We're not going there yet. Not the obvious transition because... Oh. I, I did a Twitter poll. Okay. I did a Twitter poll that had. I'm going to let you lead. It had about 128 responses, which is pretty good for a for okay. ATL and fire poll. What's your favorite type of goal, Dave? In terms of like just like a, a free free flowing um, long range shot? Do you like a magical set piece? Do you like somebody dribbling into the box and creating and finishing it there? I like, obviously, I mean, it's so clear if you follow the podcast, you follow me. I like free-flowing team goals, you know, where the ball moves clearly. And we've been scoring them recently. So I like Atlanta United goals of recent, yeah. you know. Um, those but, are the goals I like. But but free-flowing, free but what, mm-hmm. what do you like? So you like a free-flowing, they cross it, somebody heads it. Do you like a free-flowing, like, little ticky-tack in the box and they finish it? Do you like a volley header? You know, um, I don't necessarily care how it goes in, you know, the tap in or whatever. I just like when players are streaming forward and the ball is moving quickly and it seems inevitable that the ball is going to go in the goal, it's going to land on one of their feet and the defenders are just scrambling and, and, you know, have no chance. Um, Those are the goals I love. Well, on, on the Twitter account, Somebody definitely in the right in, I think, had the right idea. They said, what about an own goal? <laughs> <laughs> it's so spursy, right? <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was, there was uh, a real hacker uh, in, I guess, the Colorado game uh, the other day. But, yeah, I think people are fans of the long-range shot here on the Twitter poll at 46%. Okay. Dribbling, finishing in the box, uh, set pieces, least favorite. Uh, that kind of free flowing cross and header in uh, in third place. So yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. as I lead us towards the obvious thing, Dave, which is we might have a new coach. We do have a new coach. I thought you were going to go to the new friend, the player from France, since we were talking about the farm league. Oh, do you want to do that first? So yeah, I'll, I I'll let you lead. I think that's the natural place to go. So, so for those of you who don't follow the farm league, France. Um, and Paris Saint-Germain. And I have to say, um, just prior to COVID, um, I guess it was a year before 
go to her. I had the good fortune of going to a Paris Saint Germain and sitting oh, in yeah. the supporter section, which was an absolute blast. Um, I saw now Manchester United Cavani and uh, um, you know Di Maria, and uh, it was a great game. They won. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, you know, people forget <laughs> that. So so. Paris Saint-Germain had two famous coaches last year. Tuchel, who eventually got sacked, went to Chelsea and won the Champions League final. And they replaced him with Pochettino. Who was right, sacked from Tottenham. From Tottenham. And um, through all of that madness, they did not win the title. It was actually Lille who won the title. That's um, right. Even, you know... Not, I wouldn't say going away, but they won, you know, with a game to play, whatever it was, it was in hand. And um, there's a Brazilian player on that team. There was a Brazilian player on the team. Yeah. You want us to, you want to tell us about him? Uh, I don't know a whole lot about him, okay. to be honest, other than probably what everybody else has done and YouTubed him. And uh, mm -hmm. what is it, Lu Luis Aroha? Arojo? I don't know how you pronounce it. Arajo? Arajo, I think. Arajo. Arajo. Let's go with Arajo. I like that. Okay. Um, I think that feels right <laughs> in my... Uh, Luis Arajo. I was going to say my Spanish, but I guess te technically it's Portuguese. Right. Because um, he's Brazilian. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, he's an inverted winger, which you don't love, but he is a, a guy that clearly has a little bit of that paciness that I saw mm -hmm. in the YouTube videos. Seems like he's got a little bit more of a nose for goal from some of the highlights I saw. Maybe, um, you know, has that long-range shot uh, that, that he can take. But just, um, you know, I, I think I just like the style of what I was seeing in some of the highlights. I felt like even when I watched P.T. Martinez highlights uh, at, uh, at River Plate before he came, I don't know. There's something you can glean, I think, from watching some YouTube highlights. And mm -hmm. I felt like he's a, a guy that's coming off a championship at Lille um, only three months ago. You know, so he's he's coming from a pedigree of winning. It's always good to bring that type of energy to a club that's trying to get back to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he very much complements, uh, you know, some of the players around uh, around him. So it's going to be interesting to see. And. I'm forgetting. Um, maybe you know. Was it Lille who was coached previously by Bielsa? And that's what he brought him to there? Ooh, I don't know. I think maybe that's true. Um, we can look that up. But, um, um, you know, I have to say, this is, you know, we're going to talk about a coach or whatever, but this is the biggest news in MLS in a very long time because you know you, dear podcast listeners please tweet at us if you know any different but i don't think That's there's ever been a player who That's was starting for a major league champions league team he's giving up the champions league people to come to mls in his prime now there have been players who have done it you know, at 32, 35, whatever. He's 26. Yeah, 25 or 26. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I, that kind of dawned on me a little late, too. I was like, wow, has there ever been, you know, a player 
that's come from one of these European leagues at, at 25 years old. And I don't think that's, happened. I mean, you know, Joseph came, you know, at that, around that age, um, you know, and he was playing in Syria, yeah. you know, but um, he wasn't playing by any means in the champions league. Torino was nowhere close to the champions league when he left yeah. Syria. Right. Um, so there've been some decent players to come from Europe who were, you know, um, you know, obviously even Carlos Vela, was still sort of in his prime when he came to LA right. and he came from La Liga and played for a very good team, but he wasn't a champions league player. Um, so, you know, because everybody wants to get to a champions league team. So um, hats off to uh, Bocanegra and Eels, how in the world they convinced a player to leave the champions league to come to MLS because there was a lot of uh, uncertainty that week, man. I was mm-hmm. it was silly season to the nth degree as far as the Boca out tweets that were happening because yep. evidently we had gone and actually um, wired money to a, a, a Brazilian club Gremio right to to grab this guy Ferreira or something like that. Am mm. I getting that name right? Yeah. Um, mm. And and at the at the end of it, I supposedly the player changed his mind he's or like something. no i don't want to come no no it was something yeah it was something weird um because the other one was tiago this young kid tiago is it um almeida or almeida so that's supposedly still, still happening on, right? couldn't get his visa in shape to impact our team and this he's year. argentinian he's right? an argentinian it sounds like they still uh are in agreement to what the terms would be come 2022 mm-hmm uh, there's a lot of time between now and then, so you never know. Yeah. Um, but it sounds to me like the only way that's going to happen is if you see Barco go or somebody else. And he's 19. Right. Right? Or so something like that. By then, like, Barco is going to be 22. So that's or crazy, so. right? Yeah. You know, and people are saying that he's, like, the top prospect in all of South America and that he actually was objecting because he really, really wanted to go straight to Europe. He didn't want to go through MLS. Yeah. But that maybe he reluctantly agreed because, you know, we're going to give him a lot of money in a couple of years profile. But So if, if Boca Negra had to do with this new Lille player, the Luis Arojo. Luis Arojo. Arojo, thank you. And... Yeah. If in fact we can lock down Tiago Amada when it when when the new year comes around, I think people might be changing their tune because here's the thing: like we're midway through the season, and uh, that'll get us. We'll get into the recap, uh, but this guy could be the level of positivity and energy that can right the ship. Thank you for the poor, beautiful. Now, um, now. What do you think, right? So he played as an inverted winger at Lille. Um, I think he, he came on as a sub a lot, I think, from what I understand, though. I don't know if he Well, got- the statistics were sort of... I mean, he wasn't an automatic starter, but he started over half of the okay. matches, and he played almost every single match. So he was a starter 50%, 60% of the time, and he was off the bench the other 40% of the time. Um, so that's a major player for that club. Yeah. You know, he started, I think, over half the matches. Right, and a winning team. Of yeah, the, a yeah. Champions League team. Um, so, you know, but he played as an inverted winger, and I have to say... Um, so, you know, hold on, let's pause for a second. Can you explain, I think we have in previous podcasts, what an inverted winger is? Yeah, 
So an inverted winger is a left footer who plays on the right side or a right footer who plays on the left side. And it's called inverted because if you have a dominant foot, um, you have a tendency to go that way. So if you have, if you're a left footer like he is playing on the right side, you have a tendency to cut inside towards the middle of the field. Um, and some coaches feel that that's an advantage because um, a player who's, especially if you play a very aggressive winger who's up top, they can cut in and actually are a threat to shoot. Yeah. And once they become a threat to shoot, people have to step up and then they can also create. Um, the difficulty with an inverted winger is that an inverted winger inherently is going to crowd the space, right? Because if you have a natural you know, tendency to come inside, when you come inside, there are more players in the middle of the field, yeah. right? So when you're trying to open up the field, you know, attacking soccer, as we've talked about in the podcast before, is about space and movement, right? So the more... You know, the more you can space out the field, the more you have more room to, to go at players. So, you know, if you can beat a guy every time, that's great. Um, but if you're consistently beating a guy to the inside, there tends to be another defender there. If you beat a guy to the outside, you know, nobody's helped out there and then you're free to go. Plus, if you can beat a guy to the outside, somebody from the middle has to come all the way out to address that. And then wherever that space they left, that's a gap. Okay, so this has been a big discussion. Uh, what is our formation or what is his fit mm -hmm. when we've got Joseph, Moreno, and Barco already kind of up in that space? Uh, I mean, Moreno is kind of on the, at least of late, right? He's kind of been playing that uh, up on the left attacking side where he's cutting it back, Um and, and and kind of in that space a little bit. Yeah, he's sort side. of been attacking midfielder in the gap between, you know, the midfield and the forward kind of in that pocket. But he's right. not an out-and-out -out winger. Um, you haven't seen Barco or Moreno really out on the side. You know, an out-and-out -out winger would classically play, you know, along the touchline, so right. to speak. Um, and the reason why you have an out-and-out -out winger, because if you have an out-and-out -out winger who can play out there um, – and if they can take on the guy and beat the guy, then it just opens up the game because everybody has to shift. Right? So is this like what does this mean for like Bello being able to take that space or a Mole Rainey who's kind of been speedy up the left side? Well, yeah. So this is the thing, right? So most of the coaches who are playing a quote unquote inverted winger, they want you know a left footer playing on the right who cuts inside, and the expectation is that there's a wing back who's going to overlap who's going to take that space. And so if you have a guy cutting inside while the wing back is taking that space, now the defenders have to choose, right? They either come inside with you and leave the wing back wide open or they stay at home and, and, you know, but do you think they're going to play him as an inverted winger? So that would mean he'd be on the right side, right? He's, yeah. he's left-footed. And that's what doesn't make sense to me because no, no, I don't think so. Because if you look at our team, I think Barco and Moreno have both showed that their best spot is sort of behind the striker in the gap. They're really good at that, running at places, you know, getting defenders to come step up to them. And we'll talk about the games, but that's how we scored a lot of the goals in the last two games. Um, they're not outside wingers. They're not playing along the touchline. The two guys who we have who do play along the touchline and who like to take on players and deliver crosses are Brooks Lennon and Jurgen Dam. Both of them are right-footed. Both of them play on the right side. And they really open up the game when they do that. 
yeah. know, if they're opening up the game, uh, if you have guys like Barco and Moreno in the middle who can really run with the ball, and they both can, right? Then you want someone to really, really open it up outside because now the defenders are like, do I go outside? Do I stay inside? If you can't come and double team Moreno and Barco running through the middle, you're in big trouble. So um, it seems like one of the two, Dam or um, or um, Lennon, would be the right winger. And the natural thing is to have a left winger. If you have really good wingers on both sides and you have Moreno and Barco, forget about it. Yeah. The defenders have no no you know option. Yeah. So I think that he's being signed not as an inverted winger, even though he's traditionally played as an inverted winger, but an out-and-out winger on the left side. Because if he can open up the space on the left side, now you have Moreno, Barco, and Joseph Martinez operating where they can't come in and double-team him because you have to respect yeah. the outside and forget it. I would agree. I think that's where the primary role is going to be, but I think they... It will also create some flexibility if we want to like switch it up and put them on the right side if Jurgen Dom's mm -hmm. injured or if Lennon. I mean, now obviously the other thing that gets it is is in the back, right? So the last two games under Valentino, you've seen basically five at the back. Now they always call it three at the back, but it's really five at the back, right? So you've seen three center backs, right? So Walks, Robinson, and Franco have all played together, and we'll talk about that, but. Um, and then they have two wingbacks who go forward, right? So Bello on the left side and Hernandez on the right side. Um, obviously, if you play with five in the back, then you can only play um, with four in the middle. But, you know, as we'll talk about, I don't think a, a quality team needs to play with five in the back. You can play with four in the back. So you pick your best two, and um, obviously Robinson is a no-brainer and probably... Franco didn't come here to sit. Um, and then you have Bello and um, Hernandez. And that's good enough defensively, particularly because you've already have a defensive midfielder who's committed to protecting them in Sosa, right? You let those five guys primarily defend. You have the rest of them in front. So now you have Moreno, Barco, um, Arajo, um, either Lennon or Dam, and Martinez, and forget about it. Yeah. Team picks itself. It gets it gets a little scary. What I'm I guess in the overall formation, I I'm a little concerned of whoever is in front of Sosa in the in the center mid. You know, I know we got the the Sadiq guy, uh, Amar Sadiq. Yeah, Sadiq. Uh, I know we've got Abara and Lopez mm -hmm. as, as, but the, Abara and Lopez seem like they're a little more offensively minded as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think with these four powerhouses in the front. I'm a little worried that we've got some people who are willing to track back and be just workhorses. Are you like, who's going to do that? I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing that you bought, I mean, the thing that's magic about certainly Ezekiel Barco, maybe Moreno is they have shown a willingness yeah. to track back. They're not kind of guys who are going to cover I agree. and mark, but they will track back. So what you want is you, when you have that kind of an aggressive, front you know two attacking midfielders you have to have a guy who's willing to sit and who can really read the game right so when the ball turns over so if, if barco or moreno is running with the ball they try to slip a pass or they get dispossessed right that first pass that's coming can lead to a really a dangerous situation where somebody's running at our back four right 
But so you have to have a guy who's sitting and who can really read the game. But as far as I can tell, we've got the classiest guy almost in all of MLS in Sosa who can do that. So if he's really committed to doing that, then he can, you know, that first pass, if he's on that, you know, to slow it down or get there, now you, what you need is a Barco or Moreno willing to come and track back like Al Marone used to do. And now you're basically double teaming or just making yourself a nuisance, right? Yeah. And both of those guys are willing to do that. Yeah. I, I, Barco definitely works hard getting back. Mm-hmm. Um, Moreno, I don't think quite as hard, but is willing to do it when it matters. Right. Um, so if you were to, you know, create a lineup in a, or a formation with everybody being healthy that, that we have, uh, I guess, you know, Hyman, outside of Hyman, right? right. Who's uh, out long-term. Who, who's out long-term, what would you go with on Sunday, assuming Luis is available? I think the team picks itself. It's Guzan and Goal. Um, from left to right in the back, you've got Bello. Um, you have uh, Robinson, Franco, and Hernandez. Uh-huh. A straight back four. You don't need five with those quality. You have Sosa sitting in front of them as defensive midfielder. You have two attacking players in the middle, Barco and Moreno, interchanging. Interchanging, they can go anywhere they want. You have two wingers keeping people honest, right? That's Arajo on the left, and either Lennon or Dam. I think you could go either, depending. Yeah. Um, and uh, Martinez up top. That sounds pretty scary. That's a scary lineup because it's it's not just quality, but it's balanced. Yeah. Right. We've talked a lot about it. If you don't have balance. So so why do you need balance? Right. The reason why you need balance is it's simplicity. Right. So what needs to happen in soccer? You want to create as much movement and as much spacing. But as soon as you lose the ball, players have to know their roles to make it difficult for the other team. If you don't make it difficult for the other team, which is what happened with DeBoer, we sometimes had, you know, when he occasionally had everybody going forward, yeah, we created a lot of things, but the moment we lost the ball, they just ran right up the field against us. And I would argue in the last two matches with Valentino, I have think that he's been very tactically naive. We've been giving up. You know, it's been very up and down, and we're of the talent to win those games, but it shouldn't be. We should get that attacking, you know, play without giving up the, you know, the counter, you know, being so vulnerable. Um, and so the way you need that is it has to be simple and balanced. So if it's simple and balanced, you can have players like Moreno and Barco bopping in and out and showing up in different places, and yet the other players keep it balanced because you kind of know that Araujo is going to be out wide. You kind of know Dam's going to be out wide, and you kind of know that Sosa's sitting in the middle, and it keeps it formed, you know? Right. So are you optimistic right now? Mm-hmm. I'm tremendously optimistic. All right, I uh, I, I did a, another Twitter poll here. Uh, let me let me go to that. Uh, on I would be salivating to coach this team. Yeah, because so, I think the talent you know compared to MLS is extraordinary. Well, let's let's get to that. So the after the win against Columbus, our three to two win, mm-hmm. I, I did a little poll here. Right, I said, you know, what is your temperature, fans, with Barco with a brace? Got our first win in a very long time. <laughs> Moreno seems to be very consistent. He's kind of figuring out how to play in the he's MLS. really well. Even if he's dragging his leg and getting the penalties, he's getting the penalties. The King didn't take shit in the previous game against Montreal, and we've got a new signing, right? And so 
overall, I think, you know, almost half the people still feel like, yeah, they felt a little spark, but they're still kind of on the fence, right? So uh, I have to say I would have voted for it's about to get hot. Yeah, so yeah, the, the choices were you felt a spark, you feel some warmth, it's about to get hot, there's your choice, or I'm all in, ATL on fire. Definitely not on fire yet. You can't not say that until we've put together yeah. a few wins, but um, I think it's about yeah. to get hot. I think that's the right call, but it was not the the winner in the poll here. It was you felt the spark. So people are very cautious right now. Understand- we've been down for a while. So. Understandably so. Understandably yeah. so. And to be honest, I would have said if we didn't necessarily have a coach coming in and we were looking at long-term Rob Valentino, I would have said maybe a spark and then it's going to be a bumpy road up and down. Cause I feel like he's tactically been a bit naive. Yeah. So um, let's, let's get to that next topic, right? Yeah. Which is what? Yesterday, yesterday we announced oh. Atlanta United's new coach, Gonzalo Pineda. Correct. Who has been the assistant coach of the Seattle Sounders since 2017, I believe. He's a Mexican national. He played in Liga MX from like 2003 till 2013. So like 10 years as a, a star player in that league. He uh, has made a couple, many appearances in the World Cup. I think he had a, a, uh, a lot of starts in the 2006 Germany World Cup, if, mm-hmm. if my research was that the one where Mexico did better, right? There was one that Mexico went all the way to quarterfinal or semi. I don't know, but yeah, he played um, center defensive mid, so a bit of a Sosa type of player, right? Oh, I didn't know that. I, I think, okay. I th- yeah, defensive center mid. So yeah, I think that'll play well for, for Sosa, who is, is somebody that uh, we obviously want to see continue having that vision and 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 particularly in the earlier games, I think he's struggling a little bit right now, if I'm being fair, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. So I don't know what overall, Dave, what's your take on the coaching choice? So we went after the big name and uh, struck out with uh, the, the Italian uh, or not the Italian, the Portuguese coach. And now we've interviewed somebody who understands the MLS uh, has played in it. Uh, understands this hemisphere, understands Tam, Gam, Bam, and Wham. And, you know, what do, what do you think of that with somebody who's never coached as a head coach before? There's a lot of risk there, no? It's a lot of risk um, because, you know, as we've talked about in the podcast, you never really know uh, about a coach until you actually see the, you know, you are who the record is, you know, and, you know, apologies to all the people um, who are going to talk about Glass and, you know, he was asked to do X and Y, but his record with the twos was poor. His record with Atlanta United is poor, and he's going to continue to have a poor record. Like, How's he doing at Aberdeen? Well, he hasn't really started yet, right? He's about uh, to start the season, right? I guess so, yeah. But I thought, did, didn't he uh, have some trailing games when he went at the end of the season, I don't know. Maybe I you're don't right. really think so. Okay, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah. So other than I feel bad for you, Aberdeen fans. So we've gone with people who have had track records, whether it's Frank DeBoer and that coming with a lot of baggage with him. Uh, someone with Heinze who had a decent track record. Well, we had one. We had one coach in Tata who had a long 
fantastic track right. record and he obviously did phenomenally um we had deboer after that and deboer had a very good track record at iox and then two horrible stints with clubs where he lost but he didn't really get much of a chance yeah um so it was a little bit of a we talked about it as you know, overall, his track record was really strong, um, but and a good track record in 2019 with Atlanta United. I know people want to poop on that and yeah. say, say, oh, we did have all the talent in the world. Anybody could have come in and done that. But we got a couple trophies. I know they were what they were: the Open Cup and the uh, one game tournament. That's not really. A yeah, trophy. I don't think those are things to poo poo. I think it was. But you the know. thing, the thing that stood out the most for DeBoer for me is that he at least got the team. And people say, uh, all the naysayers out there would say, you know, despite all the odds, like he was bringing the team down, we should have made the MLS Cup in 2019. We were a hair, you know, uh, a, a phenomenal fluke goal from away in the semifinals from hosting another MLS yeah. Cup. And so, then if he wins, he would have been a hero. So we've, we've talked about that. Anyway, so on to, uh, you know, the Pineda yeah. And, and having a track record. So, um, you know, I, he doesn't have a track record. But um, two things. Uh, obviously, Seattle has been phenomenal. Um, we had my cousin on the podcast a few weeks ago. Have you talked to him? Is he sad that uh, we Yes, he was him? very sad. He thinks that Pineda is phenomenal. And yeah. he thinks... He's like, um, he hates him now, but. <laughs> so, but Pineda's, he was kind of the behind the scenes tactician, no, in terms well, of. Well, yeah, that's what we have heard that he actually, and that's encouraging that he wasn't just. So, so many of the assistant coaches are not the tacticians, right? The head coach does all the tactics and the assistant coach job is to run training, basically. And, you know, running training is not the same as, as coming up with a game plan and getting the team ready. And I think at the professional level, it's more important to be a tactician, right? You also have to have a rapport with the players. I mean, Rob Valentino has shown that just by having a rapport with the players, the players play better because right. they're, you know, happier. Um, so, but he apparently has a phenomenal rapport with the players. That's true. They, they love him in Seattle. Um, but he apparently was in charge of a lot of the tactics. He spent a lot of time in the film room with players and doing things. So that's encouraging, although he's still not the head tactician. Um, and Seattle, obviously, they won the MLS Cup, but they appeared in two MLS finals. At a, so they've won, been in three out of the last four MLS finals. Yeah. So and, got- and I would say they've done that with a very good team, but not like a superstar team that anybody could have coached. I feel like they have done an excellent coaching job in Seattle. I would agree. I mean, just consistency of them always being in the mix is, is basically their MA. Yeah. They've had good players, but you know, they've to be in the final three out of the four team four times. I don't think you would have naturally said that team. For example, you would have definitely said LAFC had the better players. Yeah. And yet they beat LAFC, right? And so they beat Tigres the other day in the mm-hmm. uh in whatever the summer league right. thing is, right? That's uh And the other thing that I think is really curious as, you know, going back to our previous conversation, um Seattle does not play with inverted wingers. They play with classic wingers, so they have a left footer on the left side and a right footer on the right side. And so 
you know, who knows how much thought went into that. But if, if they already knew who they wanted as the coach, the signing of Luis Araujo, I'm going to guess all of the Atlanta media gets this wrong, and he's being brought here to be an out-and-out classic left winger. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's enough time in the window that we have, like in, they, in Boca Negra, and they kind of talked about it. It's like you have to sign talent. The way that the windows work in the MLS with – us trying to align a coach. I think we would all agree you would want a coach in place who agrees with the signing, but the reality of it, it was kind of hard to do with a window and, and those things happening in parallel. I have to say, you know, all in all, we talked about with all the, um, the problems we've had, you know, it might be time to get an MLS coach. They did. Um, I think they got the hottest young MLS coach. Um, he's Mexican, but he's been in America for a long time. He speaks fluent English and Spanish, which helps, um, you know, obviously with our huge South American contingent, the ability to speak Spanish and not have to translate is huge. Um, all signs point to good things. Yeah, um, and, and a guy that hopefully in the, the pressers isn't going to look like he's constipated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, he certainly is apparently a much more friendly, outgoing kind of guy. Right. People love him; like he's a joy to be around. You yeah. talked about this a lot, and uh, I think you know it's underappreciated. I think you very have very insightful about the fact that you want the kind of guy who you know the cook is happy to see, the Jersey guy is happy to see. Yeah. You know, and and you know, and that's where I think I got it wrong with Heinze is. I like people will kick their grandmother to, to win, but you, you almost also have to play that role of being positive with everybody else. And it seems like he wasn't that, that guy. And I don't know, I guess my perception of that was wrong, but it seems like, seems like um, even from his first presser uh, that he was introduced as the Atlanta United head coach, he does have this positive energy that uh, people are starting to read. Yeah. Now on the flip side to be successful, you know, coaching is a ruthless business and there are moments where you're going to have to make a tough decision. You know, again, one of the things that concerns me about Rob Valentino, he's so buddy-buddy, like, you know, this idea that, you know, he was talking to Martinez about the coaching decisions on the sideline, and apparently, you know, Joseph texted him at 2 in the morning to say, you know, something about oh, really? whatever. And I'm like, I think that's too close, right? You, the players have to have... They don't need to be afraid of you, but they do have to have a healthy respect for you. And there has to be a distance. You can't be their best friend. Right. Because there are moments where you're going to have to make the hard choice and you're going to have to pull Martinez out and he's going to be pissed, but you have to do it and know that it's right. And he has to respect that enough to be like, you know what? I'm pissed, but, you know, like when Tata would do it, you know, he had the respect of the team and nobody was going to be like, they were going to be pissed, and there were some tantrum. You know, Joseph Martinez threw some temper tantrums on the sidelines, and Tata kind of smiled at him and was like, okay. Right. You know. So Valentino is staying as an assistant for mm -hmm. uh, Pineda, mm -hmm. and it sounds like Pineda is bringing one of his other assistants from Seattle, so we're mm -hmm. stealing two people technically from Seattle, right? Yeah, which is a win, right, because we get better and Seattle gets worse. Yeah. So. You know, if my cousin David is listening. Schmeitzer, is that his name? Yeah, he's a German guy. Um, um, he seems like he's all class. He's real class. He's a tech. And, and that's the thing is, you know, he's a tactician, right? And the guy's clearly a tactician. And so you worry, 
Is the tact so is the tactics from him? Is the tactics from Pineda? Is the tactics from both of them? And they both agree. Yeah. Uh, I, nobody knows. <laughs> Ted Lasso knows, right? Ted Lasso. God, I want to see that show. If those, of, if you're on the podcast, if you're a listener and you want to, you know, direct message us and give me your um, Apple ID so I can watch yeah, Ted Lasso. I can help you out with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're the friend of the show. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I did hear that the second uh, season may have jumped the shark. I was hearing that on the radio. I know, oh, really? I, I've only watched the first episode of season two, ah. and uh, it was great, but it sounds like it's kind of like struggling now with the writing, so I'm, I'm mm. curious to catch up. So I really want to see it. I haven't yeah, seen it. Season one, hey, fabulous. Yeah. I've heard nothing but great things about it. So where do you want to go now, Dave? Well, I think we got to go to the the two games, right? I mean, uh, what's so going on with Atlanta United? Um, two game recap. So we we flew all the way up to the the Canadian border. We crossed it, Montreal. We which is a, actually an interesting thing because they weren't allowed to play in Canada for the beginning of the season. Uh, They've been playing away because there was a COVID restriction. You couldn't go back and forth. Right, so that was the first time that the border was open that Montreal was allowed to go home. They've played all their home games on the road so far in the U.S. because that's the only way they could play. So I've got the YouTube up here on the screen now. Okay. So we I entered that game two, three, and seven according to the 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 the, the stats Yikes. here. Yeah. Well, that's 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 Brad Guzan. So um, so that doesn't include Alec Khan. Alec Khan. Can <laughs> the can man? So I uh, I watch this game casually. Uh-huh. I don't have notes like you have, so I'm going to rely on you, Dave, to bring us through some of the highlights of this game. Yeah, well, so the first thing I would say is here's the you know the reason why three backs ten three center backs tend not to work, right? So if you go to the first goal. Right. Um, so we're playing three backs. And um, so Franco is very aggressive coming out to challenge. Right. And that's because he's expecting Campbell um, uh, to have his back. But pa- Campbell was covering um, to the left because Hernandez was so far up the field. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but so because of that, you know, Franco just assumes three backs. I can be aggressive, right? And I don't have to worry about it. Campbell is covering um, not behind him for Franco, but he's covering for the outside guy. And the there's a sort of flick on right through, and he's wide open. All right, so, so we this, have the clip. Is this it right here? It's the first goal, so let's, yeah. Let's give it a go. So. Right. Oh, this is us. Yep. So watch uh, Franco. So Franco is there at the top of the box and watch it on let it go on the replay, right? So Franco steps up to challenge and he assumes that Campbell's got his back, but Campbell's just, you know, busting it to get back. Um cuz this was when um So this is the right clip, right? So watch Franco. He steps up right here. And he's assuming that he's got his back and he's just slipped in behind and Campbell's trying to recover for him, right? Um, and th- this is before Robinson was out because of the Gold Cup, right? And so this is the problem when you play three backs is that Franco feels very happy to come up and address him because he assumes the other... He's got three center backs, right? And whenever you don't have responsibility, 
right? Then he's just going to assume and he's going to go, right? So normally, if a center back were to come up and address the player like that, he would first take a look and make sure that there's not an open guy behind him, right? And the reason why Campbell is not covering from him right there in that clip, let's leave it right there, right? Franco is going to step up when Sadik gets beat, right? And he's going to step up and there's a Montreal player forward and Campbell is recovering and trying to get back. He's assuming that Campbell's covering that guy, right? But Campbell can't be covering that guy because there's a guy out wide. And the reason why the guy out wide is open is because Hernandez, the right back, the, you know, when you play three in the back, you play wingers that go forward. Hernandez has gone bombing up the field and he can't get back. So now let it go. So, yeah, I feel like Franco's not doing as good as he could, but let's let's see. But he never looks over there. All right, so he's he's also covering that guy, the ball. Well, who, there's Walks is on that guy, and Walks is not tight enough on that guy. Not, okay. But Franco just sits there, and he's assuming the other guy is covered. So, so watch this ball. He's, he's caught in between here, right? And then So Walks comes up, and he's got that or whatever. So Franco should be with number 13, right? He never looks at 13, and I don't believe it's because Franco is not is clueless because I've seen him play, right? And you see how Campbell is struggling to get in, right? Yeah. And he turns around. Watch, watch Franco's reaction after the goal, right? You just see him. Watch it, watch it here. Watch his reaction after the goal. He's really pissed because he's like, you were supposed to have that guy. Uh, it's not like this is the clip where you can see him, right? Um, maybe, maybe. He's like, you're supposed to have that guy, and he's really pissed. And that's the problem with three center backs is because when you have three center backs, there's so many players, right? Um, And there's another clip, you know, we probably won't look at it, but there's another clip in the Columbus game where there's a counterattack, right? And they're counterattacking with, Two, maybe four, if you include the two guys getting into the thing. We have six players back, including all three center backs, the two guys wide and Sosa, right? And with six guys back, the guy's still running free, which is nuts because we had three guys who could have covered him, but nobody's responsible for it. And so, you know, um, I'm going to call it socialist... uh, defending right you know when everybody is equal and everybody is supposed to be doing whatever and nobody's really responsible for it everybody's like you know well i'm here you're here whatever you know nobody's taking responsibility yeah and 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 this is the problem and so um you know many many times in that you know that we i think the three backs is unnecessary because all it does you would think it would make you better defensively and i think it tends to make you worse defensively yeah. uh, now there are certain groups of three that can do that and they can defend on an island and the three of them are you know working together you know fair enough um obviously the second goal that we give up right after that is you know this is for you, Alan Levy. It's shambolic on the fast on the far post. Nobody ever addresses the corner. I mean, look at the guy wide open, right? Um, and you know, part of this, and I have to say, this is again Rob Valentino overthinking it, right? So leave it here. Right? I mean, let's just stare at this picture for a second. <laughs> yeah. What, well, what in the world is going on? 
Well, what's going on is that in this system, it seems like in general, he has gone overboard. So, so Tata plays with this guy at the front post, which is where Joseph is, and that's great. I love the free guy at the front post. But it seems like Rob Antino has sort of gone with two guys that are free, right? Um, and you can see that because they have, in the middle of the penalty area, they have four. We have five, right? And so one player has been asked, there's two players been asked to be free, and you'll see it if we look at the corner kick that we gave up to Columbus when we give it. There are two guys who are asked to be free. Well, when there's two guys that are asked to be free, everybody's got to come back and assign it. It throws off the matchups. And so in this case, nobody ever looks, and number four is wide open. This is the definition yeah, of shambolic. Let's, let's see this. Oh, my goodness gracious. But... I'm pretty sure that George Bellow is at fault on this one, if I'm not mistaken. Well, obviously, Guzon and Bellow now, should have been screaming. Let's let's see what happens here. George Bellow, I think, in this one, is barking at a bunch of people before the corner tick, kick actually happens. And he, it was his assignment, and he was late to it. Let's see if there's another view here. So watch watch George Bellow. He's, yeah. t- he's talking to walks. Yeah, and he steps he's up. He's got his head he's down. Looking. He's clapping. And then, oh, Where's my guy? Where's my guy? Yeah. No. <laughs> and that is that is that is classic Bello because I've said to you occasionally he's a bit naive and uh, you know I think that's just being young. That's being young, but you can't be going to Europe if you. No, I agree. You're, if if you're going to scout him for Europe, you're going to look at that clip. And, that clip right there. And all of the the Atlanta United commentators who are like, "Oh, Bello's good or whatever," and he's so great, and look at him going forward. True. 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 But that's what the European scouts are going to look at. That three seconds is mm-hmm. everything. I agree. Of losing focus. And he's trying to get the team jacked up, but he has actually lost focus himself. Right. Um, now, the other thing I would say is, you know, we'll talk about... So know, now we're down 2 nothing in this game, though, right? Yes. And we'll talk in a second about us coming back. But why in the world do Bello and Henderson are just flying forward with abandon. And we'll talk about it a little bit in the first clip of the Columbus game when when we scored the goal. Even in the scoring goal, you can see the tactical naivety of Bello that he's so committed to just flying forward. He's getting there way too early and way too often. And in that first goal, if Hernandez wasn't caught up the field... Right, and Campbell hadn't been have to cover for him outside. We don't give up that goal. Which goal is this? The first goal that we just looked at, right? Because you, yes, Franco didn't read it, but Campbell is coming in or whatever. If Hernandez was guarding him, Franco would have been in to begin with, and it wouldn't have happened. I'll believe you. I mean, sorry, Campbell would have been in to begin with, and it wouldn't have happened. Um, So obviously, we give up two goals, and then. you know, one of the things that's a joy to watch and is a credit to Rob Valentino, right? Um, we scored two goals, right? Uh, the first one, a running Barco right off the kickoff almost, right? Finds Joseph Martinez. And, you know, if anybody says Joseph Martinez is not quite back, watch this, right? So Barco running, you know, 40 yards, finds Joseph not in a great spot, but Ding. goal. Right, and that's the Joseph of old, right? Yeah. And I don't think we're going to see that consistently for another X number of weeks, but that gives me hope that he, he will come back. 
for the fa- for the the YouTube people, I didn't have it up on the screen, so let me do that again. Okay, and I should say for those of you who are just listening on the podcast, we're talking about right off the kickoff. Um, we give up the second goal. Barco running on the ball. He plays a square ball to uh, Martinez at the top of the eighteen, um, who literally has to stop dead in his tracks and still finds the bottom How corner. How is he finding that near post lately? That seems like it's his his. Uh, well, that's magic. that's the magic. That's why Martinez is a special player because uh, that's not easy to do. Um, and then the the. Um, so again, Barco is bringing the ball up the field. And we'll get to the next match. But even in the Montreal game here, you see moments of him. Yeah, and the goal in this Montreal game, the second goal that we score is another example. It's now Moreno running at space. Moreno finds um, Joseph Martinez just, just before this, and Martinez gets taken down for a penalty kick, right? This is it? Yeah, this is here. So Moreno running in space. He finds him wide open, and... You know, but Moreno takes that ball. If you go back on that clip, he takes that ball a good 30, 40 yards. He shrugs off a defender. Anybody who thinks that Moreno is not class, watch this. Yeah, play it from there. Right? Moreno just shrugs off the defender. He runs, he draws the defender, and flees Martinez in the penalty area. He gets taken down from behind. And of course, Moreno converts the penalty. So. Atlanta United at its best is Barco and Moreno running at the back four. And this is what you can't give up. You know, one of the things that I find about, um, I find about uh, Atlanta United is, yes, we're doing offensively much better. Yes, we're running at their back four, but then we give up the ball and they run at our back four. Don't even start me. Our defense is, <laughs> well, which, the- which we thought from the beginning of the season was like our strong suit. Yeah, Let's see what's happening now? Obviously, in this game, Miles Robinson doesn't play, right? Because he's coming off the Gold Cup, but then he does play um, in the second game. And what, the other thing I want to do, and here's my, are you ready for it, Mikey Dobbs? Yeah. Here's my rant. This is my rant. Bring right? it. And <laughs> I apologize for any Atlanta United fans who thinks I'm not sufficiently pro Atlanta United, but the refereeing. Okay, so you just saw it. We just showed the clip, right? Moreno finds Joseph Martinez. He's in on goal. The guy clips him from behind. It's, it's not a hard foul, but it's clearly a foul. It's the double jeopardy that we have always talked about hating. Yes. Double jeopardy. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, great. Obviously, penalty kick. Right. But why the double jeopardy? So I'm going to just jump in on yes, this rant Yes, go here. for it. Rant. Because this <laughs> this is actually my rant. So we don't even... Yeah, we'll... we'll I don't even think we need to show the clips of what happens next with the So chicken. explain to the podcast listeners what the last man back rule is for. Well, I, I would say it's, it's to, uh, you know, clearly reward the team that was uh, stopped from a clear goal scoring opportunity. Yeah. And to, to, pro- to yeah, you know, get a red card, right? So that the team is punished but in the box, it's a different story because you're already getting you're getting it made up by having hopefully an opportunity that was just right. as easy as you just had. So I would say that the last man back rule, which has only been in place for Should ten be years, outside or of the box, was designed because players would be played through. They'd be running on goal, 
right? And any time a player was running in on goal, if the guy was still outside the box, the guy would dive, grab his shirt, and just pull him down because all the danger was you got a yellow card and they got a free kick outside right. the box where he was running in on goal for a, for a breakaway, right? And the rule was designed so that if you did something cynical like that as the last man back, that there would be a long-term penalty in the game. You'd have to play a man down for the rest of the game. The rule was never designed for that inside the penalty area because you already have a right for the referee to address that by awarding a penalty kick. And you can just give him the chance to convert exactly how he would have had on the breakaway. Yeah, the the double penalty there, I think, ruins a little bit of soccer in general, which is it's not anti-Atlanta United. It's just I don't like that rule in general. Now, this is, you know, I, I don't blame that on the ref. That's how they're taught to do it in the MLS. It's how they're taught to do it in many leagues. I blame it on the ref. I, I think you're being too nice because the referee has discretion here. The referee could have awarded the penalty kick, given the guy no, yellow. The, hold on, because we're about to get to why this referee does not have discretion, okay? Okay. This referee does not have any control of the game it's all done in the box upstairs, and it's all done by the pressure of the MLS because the, the next mistake he makes is two peacocks peacocking off in the box <laughs> right. after, you know, you, anybody who's played soccer, like, there was nothing violent in it. Like, yeah, the guy put his hands up on Joseph's throat, and Joseph peacocked his face up into his chest, and they that's all it was right so let me just explain hold on hold on so that we know what we're talking about Uh, right so right after this joseph martinez comes in on the goalkeeper he almost steps on him but or something and wakayama gets uh in a huff prevents him joseph martinez momentum takes him into the goal right and wakayama gets in his face Right, I think you had it there. Almost yeah. uh, gets in his face and um, confronts him. Right. Yeah. And so now, ball goes in. Right. And then there's a little scuffle here in the box. Like here's he keeps him in the goal. This, this happens in every night. A little like oh come on, nothing, 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 nothing. T- two tough guys, right? Nobody swung at anybody. There's a little shoving. I mean, at some point, to your point, the ref has to realize, I mean, come on. Did he choke him? I I don't know. I actually completely agree with you, Mikey Dobbs, that I would have to say, despite the fact that by the letter of the law, that that, yes, is violent conduct, the shove, the neck, whatever. It's what what MLS wants to instill. But those two players avoided swinging at each other. Unacceptable unacceptable behavior by the letter of the law. So what happened was the referee, to your point, who is trying to ref the game and make it fair, had already made the decision he was going to give two yellow cards. Right. Because I know this because he waved off the two yellow cards right. when he comes after after VAR here and gives a red. The only reason he gave a red is because the lawyers consulting the people in the VAR box said we have to – we cannot deal with with the visual of this guy pretending like he's going to choke somebody and a guy who's pretending like he's going to headbutt somebody. And at the end of the day, it loses the spirit of what the ref's job is. And a little bit of the fact that, like, I mean, come on. This is a competitive game. These guys are heated. Joseph and that guy would probably have a good laugh after the game, and I think maybe they did. When well, they, they walked the... off together. Yeah, and that I think weird. people were expecting a fight, but I think, honestly, they knew, like, hey. Yeah, I think, we, it, we I were, think it was. We were peacocking, and yeah. that's the way it goes. And it's like, 
Why do they have to ruin the game? They have they have a term for this in England, Mikey Dobbs. Have you heard of handbags at 12 paces? I have not. What, is, what does this mean? <laughs> so the idea is... Hand, <laughs> handbags at 12 paces. Yeah, so you know how you have the, the classic duel with pistols at 12 paces, mm-hmm. but if, if there are two um, fine... English ladies who are in the <laughs> department store and they're fighting over a garment, right? That they step off and they whack each other with handbags. That's called handbags at 12 <laughs> paces. And it's a little less dangerous than pistols at 12 paces. So yeah. that's the spirit of it. And I think that that's what that was. That was handbags at 12 paces. So then, yeah, now, you know, especially when you look at that, like also what did Joseph really do wrong? In terms of, yeah, did he, he walked up and put his face on a guy's chest? Right. So I, I didn't understand how that didn't get appealed and overturned for Joseph. Well, yeah. because the MLS is never going to overturn that because it's in relation to violent conduct and just exactly what so, you're saying. So is pushing violent conduct? I think that's what they're saying. Now, what I would say that I disagree with you slightly, which is a I agree with you 100% that the reason why he did that is because of the lawyers and the VAR and blah, blah, blah. But I think if MLS is going to step to the next level, one of the referees has got to say, nope, I saw it. It was handbags at 12 paces. I'm good. It was yellow cards. And I, own up to it and make MLS. I agree with you. I agree with make you Make MLS but be these, like whatever. But that's where these MLS referees, who I think are capable have a little bit of fear and they're afraid they're afraid because of the institution they think they're going to lose their job yes but you have to actually you have to actually embrace your job not to lose your job so one of these referees has to step up and be like yeah i might lose my job or i might come down as the best referee in mls so we're not disagreeing i 100 percent agree with you okay yeah i agree uh, it, it, it takes somebody brave to be able to be brave, fight the man, right? Fight yeah. the man. Like that's handbags at 12 paces. <laughs> you got to love the their expressions. Handbags at 12 paces. So, you know, those dear podcast listener, if you're out there, um, you have a little bit of a, uh, you know, conflict at work or whatever, but it's not that big a deal. You say, ah, it was just handbags at 12 paces. Yeah. Anything else to say about the Montreal game? It was no, good. we're on to Columbus. And it was an important one point at the end of the yes, day. Yes, you know, because Montreal's above the playoff line. We're out there. We have an interim coach. We're, we're reeling and, um, you know, uh, we're down to nothing. It looks dire. And to come back and gain a point, you know, bravo. And we got a point... With some really nice, you know, the goals going back to our Twitter poll. I love the free-flowing goals. And both of those came off of counterattacks. We got Barco and Moreno in space. They got to run at defenders, and good things happen. Yeah. So then we uh, we don't come back to Atlanta. We actually fly to Columbus. Directly to Columbus. Ohio. Right, for their new stadium, which is nice. That was, uh, it was in a new stadium. Yeah, right. Columbus built a new... So Columbus built the very first ever soccer only stadium for MLS very originally, but it was like kind of out in, you know, wherever middle of nowhere. And, you know, eventually they had the thing they were going to move to Austin and then they eventually didn't. Right. And new owner came in from Cleveland and bought the team. Right. Yeah. And they stayed in Columbus and they've built a new stadium in downtown Columbus. And it's lovely. Apparently. So we 20,000 capacity. We, we hit the ground running in this game. 
Yeah, no kidding, right? Right. So was it forty six seconds? No, no, it's uh, four minutes. Four, four, four minutes. minutes, and so it was forty six seconds. The the two games ago, you know, Atlanta United on the front foot. Forty six seconds, two games ago, and now four minutes in, there's Barco running at the defense again. Right, beautiful little back heel by Bello, and yes. then boom. Okay, side netting. Now here's where I'm gonna. Here's where I'm gonna criticize. Okay, right. This is Rob Valentino, and there's Barco, and the wingers are going asked to go forward so forward early. They're already at midfield, and then they're asked to go forward again. And if you watch, if you if you back it up, or watch the replay again, right. Watch what Bello does. So Barco is right there. Leave it right there. It's perfect, right? So Barco is there. He's made a beautiful move, and he's going to come breaking into space. If Bello was a little bit patient, he would have waited till Barco got in that space, got his head up, and then taken off. But he's not. He's been told. And look at the look at the far side, right? Uh, maybe that's Jurgen Dom. I'm not sure. Yeah, but but on is. the right side, look at him flying up the field, right? Does he have it? Is Barco going to play him the ball? No. He's facing completely the well, opposite way. I, 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 I don't have any problem with that as of yet. But it's so automatic, right? So what I would have said, if, if I were the right winger there, I love the fact that he's ready to go forward. I love the fact that he's up in that space. He should be slowing down. Right, waiting. If Barco cuts the ball back, then take off. Okay, well, let's see if he does. Though I don't know. Like, he doesn't cut it, the ball. It, well, back. in this, in this, but watch what he does in, in, in the right this, wing. In this still frame, I don't know what he does in the next second. So let's see. Right. He slows down. Not really. He's still yeah, flying he, up no, the field. He's, he slowed down, dude. All right, but go back and now watch what Bello does. Okay, I, but that guy on the right side definitely slowed down. But after he already got flying up there, and now if so, if he had lost the ball, stop it. Stop it right there. So if he had lost the ball right there, whatever, uh-huh. look at where our two wingbacks are. Right? Right. So our two wingbacks, Bello is the farthest player up. He's gone flying so far off, he's almost offside. Right? He's yeah. 21 in this picture. Yeah. Right? So for those who are listening on the podcast, Bello on the left side, Barco makes a beautiful move from right he dribbles into the midfield right beautiful he's running its pace bello is so anxious he's gone way too early right and he's basically offside right he has to like hit the brakes to avoid going flying offside on the right side um now that i'll agree with i agree bello is a little anxious but on the right side i felt like the guy did slow down and try to try to but if he loses the the ball right there Right. Uh-huh. So he. So 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 right now, where where Mikey Dobbs has stopped the clip, Bello is is basically entering the attacking third of the field. He's about halfway between the midfield line and the attacking. He's almost at the top of the 18. circle. Yeah, or top of the you know eighteen. He's, he's a little further than that, but anyway, he's he's entering the attacking third. So I would like to have both of my win backs right poised to run right at that moment. I don't think they are. They're both ahead of him. And I don't want my wingbacks ahead of him. They're getting ahead of the play. And if he loses the ball there, we are counterattack city. Neither of those guys are in the play at all. And they're not helping him. Yet, as you see in this play, Bella was so far forward that when he gets the ball... He has to turn around, track back, and do this back crazy heel, back is, heel. Which is beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful, but watch. Yeah. I'm going to let it play and watch. 
right? He's coming back towards his own goal, which you never should be doing. He should be going forward, right? And if he was going forward, that's an easy one-two pass, right? But yeah. instead, he has to do this crazy back heel. Now, he makes a beautiful play, but that's crazy. That, to me, is technically naive. All right. So the second goal is like in the 34th minute, I believe. So this is what I was pointing out, that our outside backs go so flying up the field that, um, you know, I don't mind our outside backs going flying up the field. I'd like them to get up a little bit and then have patience. And then when it's on, go, right? But they should not be ahead of the guy with the ball. Yeah. If they're ahead of the guy with the ball, then what happens is instead of running into space, they end up standing and waiting or maybe doing a crazy back heel give and go. So right. we look, look pretty good early on in this, right? So here's another goal in the 32nd minute. Mm -hmm. uh, Moreno uh, gets it out wide and does his, his uh, nice little dribbling on the ball. He, you know... I, I want to say he looked for the foul. Yeah, what do you think of that penalty kick call? This is the first penalty kick, second goal. Oh, I, I think, think that they need to get rid of that in the game. I mean, I don't love the drag the leg. And you see it in Europe all the time. They give it. You know, if, um, you know, both, both of the defenders stop in space and plant their feet, and it just sets up a very easy trip-based situation for you know it's very ta any talented player that can dribble around cones to lift one of their legs and just make sure it bumps it and looks like a trip because the thing is is when when that's a legitimate foul and it, it it all it is is like a little if you're running and you get tripped a little bit like you do fall mm -hmm. right so it's very it's almost impossible for a referee or even var like you can watch it a million times and be like well did he do it like i don't know like I would say in that one, yeah, he was looking for the foul and and got it, right? But So who initiated the contact there? Was it the defender or was it Moreno? It was Moreno for sure. Uh, you know, not I agree. A, on both occasions, even the first player he was trying to initiate contact on his left foot, and then he switched it up and, he, and the ball went a little out of his range and he made sure he dragged his right foot and then clipped the guy and then got the penalty. I agree. So I think that was not a penalty. Well, well, no, it's not, but um, this is where VAR is failing us again. Yeah, because VAR is well, only going to overturn it soccer. if it's clear or whatever. So they're all they're looking for is if the referee got misled and there's absolutely no contact. But that's not what VAR is for. The VAR is supposed to be looking at that and say, look, the referee saw it in real time, which is real hard, yeah. right? And they're supposed to look at it closely and be like, eh, he dragged the leg, he initiated the contact, I think no penalty. But that's not what VAR is being used for. Yeah. So then two minutes later, we get scored on, on yet again another set piece. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you want to show it, but um, we have again two players who are marking you know space instead of you know we have you know in in our infinite wisdom and trying not to give up um a corner kick you know we've had dangerous corner kicks yeah so play that we have two players right so there's con uh conway who's conway is sitting centrally and should be playing the ball who is our goal scorer strong head 
And the more I looked at this, the more I'm blaming Conway for not getting there. Well, he's playing what, what you know, Tata initiated, which I love, which is to take a forward, put him at the near post, and let him be free and just go after the ball. Right. And that's what he's doing here. So I love that. Now, he doesn't really go after the ball like Correct. Martinez does. Correct. And it's a little and, – and you can – if you watch this, Miles kind of gets clipped on the play and can't really get as tight to his man as he wants, just the way that yeah. – the, the the other players are setting up and to me the opportunity to stop this was conway and it was actually a pretty good header at the end it of was the, a fantastic header at, at the, the, end the at, at the end of the day and i i'm not going to put too uh-huh. much blame but i felt like conway if he was committed to this would have stopped but it. there so, are two free players i don't know if you if you played a little bit more there are two free defenders not just one there's two so stop it there See, Conway's the guy in the middle, and there's a guy out wide on the front post, right? Yeah, there's a guy running with him inside of him. You can barely see his back foot. I don't know who it is. But no, the- but but so there's a guy outside of the six-yard box, right, um, who's at the front post. This guy? No, defender off for Atlanta United. Yeah. Right? So that's a free guy who's not marking anybody. Right, and right. we just showed Conrad who's not marking anybody. Right. He's the Con- guy in Conway, there. right? Conway, sorry. Yeah. Um, so then, we then have, you have Miles. Two. You have Miles. He's about to get clipped trying to follow his man. But why do we have two free guys? Why do we have two guys who are zonal marking? So those are guys who are zonal marking and not man to man. Everybody the, else these is man to man. These two right here, Conway and whoever this is, yeah. are free. This right. guy's useless at this point because right. he's not really covering the front post. Right. So that's like a wasted man right. in the tactics of things. Right. So I what agree. should be happening is that guy should be where Conway is, yeah. and then Conway should be marking yeah. the guy, and then Conway else. can fill this space a little like. Well, he should be marking the guy, and then yeah, well, he, even in this case, he can be playing zonal and get up with his big head. But I don't think. Or, why do we need two zonal guys? We don't. We probably don't. But boom, Conway's late to it, and you could say Miles is his fault for not covering his man, but. It was pretty hard on the replay to... to it's a terrific goal, right? At yeah. the end of the day, I don't think you can really say, like, oh, we should have, should have, yeah, whatever. But, it, but I'm really wondering why we have two free guys mm-hmm. in zonal marking. No clue, actually. Watching that clip, that was, like... And that's uh, Moreno. Who was, who was that? No. Yeah, it's Moreno who yeah. was out front. What yeah. is Moreno doing there? Yeah, just taking up green space for no reason. <laughs> And what that does, so I would say, look, you know, he doesn't get to the ball. And on top of that, if we do clear the ball, where's the guy who's going to start the counter and run in space? How about that hack right there? Oh, my gosh. How is that not a goal by Columbus? I mean, oh my God. Brad makes a great save. Brad save. I mean, this is MLS, you know, 1.0 shit right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, You're talking what? about the, the play for uh, number 12. Who is Number that? 12, Etienne or whatever his yeah. name, or who was it? I don't know. Yeah, um, he I, just slashes at the ball gosh, and hits it super wide on top of the about JV. Um, <laughs> where are we going? And here? what about the second penalty for Atlanta United? Do you think uh, you, you? All right, so we're about to go to that right now. Okay, here it is. Yeah. So that one, I think, unfortunately, is actually even in the slow mo. You think he's dragging his leg more? No, I, I, I don't. I, I, no, I, do, I don't, right? But but that's, I think, with the fine eye, you and I agree that he he didn't. So I think we're on the same page here. I actually think 
he actually was trying to play through that and his leg actually got clipped there and is a trip and he was he could make some extra money as var reference it's a little bit more that, that was a little <laughs> bit more of a, a natural uh play and it was stupid of the defender who kind of lunged put himself in a cone position which was kind of i mean he did what he had to do but morena was attacking there and yeah, I felt like he was actually trying to make a play in the ball there, and his left leg got clipped. And before I make my final comment, why don't you show the Columbus penalty kick in which Franco um, runs into... Oh, gosh, that's yeah. tragic. Let's get to that. So yeah, that's the other big part late. of this. So is this right here? Is that what this is? Corner kick? No. No, that was... Oh, this is the offside, goal. which, yeah, yeah so got called going. back. But look, yeah, get going. That's another opportunity. It's further than this. When when Franco runs it. So yeah, it's right here. So the penalty kick or free kick, it yeah. gets cleared out, and then yeah. somebody chips it back in. It gets. Uh, yep. Yep. Here it is. Headed up in the air. Plows him over. What is that? <laughs> why did he do that? I'm not sure why he did that, but what the question is, do you think it's a penalty? Oh, thousand percent. One and not even like close. I mean, here, here we go. Hold on. Why Alan Franco runs this guy over is beyond me. I think it's a penalty, but it's pretty soft. Why is it soft? There is a Columbus guy who is up in winning this. Okay, Mm -hmm. he's one foot in the air. Mm -hmm. You've got Alan Franco three feet away from him right now, right? Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And he just barrels into him. Didn't get the ball. Mm-hmm. Just barrels into him. It's it, it, it's and in a in a attacker that has in a ball coming straight north from it's coming straight down. So he's it's not a threatful play. And the I'll, reason why I think it's soft is because he heads the ball already. The ball's going uh, nowhere. It's, it's not a creator, whatever. It's sort of a little bit after the play. Yeah, Alan Franco is truly reckless, right there. It is reckless. I agree. And I think it's a penalty. I would have said yeah, penalty. Yeah, and it's a penalty, right? So it's like, it's just... It, but it, I have to say, if this were the World Cup or Champions League final, and I hadn't called a penalty kick earlier in the game, I would have said play on. I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, you can't just... I would have ignored that. You can't just barrel into a player. Yeah, he's already headed the ball. No way. That is... That no effect all, on the play. All day, every day, that's a penalty. It had no effect on the play. You never know what's going to happen. He already had You it. never know. We what's, already knew what You happened. never know what's going to happen <laughs> where, with where that ball goes. If, if you created even the slightest disadvantage for that team by being a bulldozer and just running into... Slightest an, disadvantage. That's your penalty threshold? Slightest disadvantage? What, what, slightest disadvantage when you just run somebody over, Yes. That, that you didn't have a what if someone didn't has have, a gas attack and, did, and the people guy, are smelling Alan, his whatever Alan, is that a slightest disadvantage? Uh, hold on, <laughs> slightest disadvantage in a situation. Alan Franco had no right to play that ball. He was I not. Agree. He was not playing the ball. He just ran the man over, and it was it was terrible. But I, to me, my threshold for penalty kicks is is that somebody gained an unfair advantage about somebody who was going to have a great scoring goal opportunity No, 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 no. That's why I mean slight advantage because you never know what's going to happen where the ball can bounce. And if you just run, you can't just run a player over. Like I that, agree if that slight advantage if there's something, you know, he's attacking and you don't know he could have gone and he's going to shoot it. But he already had it. We already knew what was going to happen. 
No, we didn't. That's my point. Nothing was different was going to happen whether he ran him over or not. You're out of your mind. <laughs> You're out of your mind. Like I, I still think it's a penalty. I agree with you. I would. No, I, I, I think if he doesn't get run over there, there is a better dangerous situation that Columbus could have put themselves in with the way he could have headed that Mikey ball. Mikey Dows, you know, we're back to normal. It's the first time we've disagreed in a while. <sighs> Thank <laughs> goodness. Man. Whew, thank God, dear podcast listeners, the the universe Mark Gillespie, is right again. Mark if you're again. listening, this is for you. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I I didn't understand what he was thinking running through that, and it, you know that that gives me a little bit of pause for Alan Franco, even though I agree, I think he's our starter. It was reckless. I agree. Um, all right, so we've we pretty much summed up th- this game. It ended. We did well. For we have to say that. So a. You've seen a bunch of examples in the previous games of players from Atlanta United running. We've seen flowing moves. These are all great. Um, what I would have said, the re, you know, keep that up. But the problem I have with Rob Valentino is we've done that and we've given up, on the flip side, tremendous counterattacks and whatever. So you have to be able to get the flowing moves without still having the balance and not giving up those tremendous opportunities. In this game, I, I think Rob Valentino, basically what I would say, I don't think this is, was his intention, but he basically said, we have a better team than you, even though this is a, you know, the defending champions. Yeah. We're going to play free-flowing football. You play free-flowing football. We're going to score three. You score two, and we're done. That's not a way to live, right? If you're going to be a good team long-term, you have to play free-flowing yeah. football and shut people down. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing that's, you, you have to be hopeful, but it has to happen now. And so, mm-hmm. it, evidently, uh, Pineda is not going to coach for another two games. Am I right on that? So, he his first training session is next Thursday. We play Sunday at LAFC, and then we play the following yeah. Wednesday. So, he's not going to coach the next two games. He takes over the training session yeah. immediately following. And so, that's that was when you and I were texting. I was concerned, right? So, you were saying, well, he's got all these games, but really he doesn't because he's not going to be the coach the next two so games. So, we've played 18. Is that true? Uh, I think that's right. And we have 34. 34 is a MLS yeah. season, right? So... You know, that's 16 to go. If he misses two, he's going to come back. The new coach comes in with 14 to go. 14, and he's still got to, like, train them up to have whatever So let's say whatever effect he's going to have isn't going to happen for at least probably two weeks. So maybe you got, by the time he's truly ready, 12 games. So if we, but the the problem is, and this is where I'm a little pessimistic, Mm -hmm. is if we don't win, and like, the next three games – Without oh. without him really at the helm, we are at major risk of the looseness of the way we won this game. We could have easily lost this game, and I think the next couple games are going to be exactly like this. Plus, we're playing a very good LAFC team. I mean, it's at I don't home. Know, they're very good. They they seem like they're. They haven't done well this year, but they've got a ton of talent. Yeah. Um. So what I would say is Rob Valentino's job. Is got to be to hold where we are, right? We're basically what six points below the playoff line, roughly. Um, so two games. If we're yeah. two games behind with twelve to go, if the new coach gets it right and he won't have an effect till twelve games to go, I think we can make up um, two games. Now we're two games behind, and there are two games, two teams in between, which help, which which hurts us, right? That's it's not just how many games you are behind, but how many teams are in between, right? right. Um, so we're, we're in 10th right now. Yeah. 
And I think if we were to have uh, another nine points, we'd be above the line right now. So, we, you know, three wins in a row. Just two got. wins would put us at the playoff line because I think yeah. we're six points behind. So, um, it's still very doable because I think this team, with the kind of talent they have, they're capable in the last 12 of winning eight. If they go even eight and four – Right, they're in the playoffs for sure yeah. in the MLS. And this Luis guy, man, I'm telling you, I'm just kind of excited to see what he does. And yeah, is he going to play this weekend? I know there's some visa questions it's there. It's questionable, right? They, they, Bocanegger was saying that his visa is expected to come through either Saturday or Sunday, and it depends on what time it comes through. Um, so they're going to keep him trained and ready. As- he apparently is fully fit because he went through the full preseason with Leo. Yeah. And he's ready to go. Um, so my guess, if his visa comes through, you'll see him in the starting lineup um, on Sunday. So those of you going to the game, which I hope to be me coaching the DDY team, and we hope to be also in the finals at the same time. So I won't be at the game if I'm at the finals. Yeah. But um, if you're going to the game, you might see the entire full starting lineup. And that's what's exciting to me. Like, if, if this is, I mean, we kind of have four designated players, maybe five. And I've got know, like we six. keep bu- we keep buying them down, right? <laughs> but know. you got Moreno, Franco was a designated Franco, player, Moreno, no Moreno, yeah, yeah. So there's at least Barco. five. Yeah. So Franco, Moreno, Barco, Martinez, of course, was a designated yeah. player. Sosa and now uh, Araujo. Yeah. So that's six players that were designated players, right? Thank you, Tam and Gam. <laughs> and you got to credit Bocanegra and Eels for playing all that, you know, all that time when we had all the whatever. When they were buying a lot of terrible players, you know, who are have come and gone, they didn't spend money on them, right? And so because of that, they kept the the the, the Tam and Gam, as you'll tell our listeners. <laughs> um, they kept it low, and that has allowed them to do all this wonderful stuff. Yeah. So good for them. You got to give them credit when credit is due. So I feel like we've talked about it all, but have we talked about it all day? What else do we want to talk about? I think we've talked about it all. So, you know, we talked about the new signings, even the one who may come in in the winter. We talked about um, Messi, PSG. We talked about the two games. Um, We talked about the new coach. And I think it's exciting times, Atlanta United fans, because uh, with this team... And the new coach, we don't know. The new coach may not be good. But if the new coach is good, the team is there. Yeah. So one one final note. If Me- Messi does, in the glory days of his career, mm-hmm. come to MLS, yep. is it going to be Miami or LA Galaxy? Miami. You think? Yep. So you think Beckham's got him? He apparently loves Miami. Beckham's got the European connections. And... Um, my name Miami right now is woeful. Yeah, they are. Um, and so two years from now, they'll probably be woeful. I don't think that um, Phil Neville is going to do the trick. He's their coach. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm, uh, you heard it here first, two years prior. Um, two years from now, Messi signs for Miami. So you are you going to the game on Sunday? Well, I hope to, but my my team is playing in a tournament. I hope not to. 
because my team is playing in a tournament and we hope to get to the final, but we're playing in a very difficult division. And so we're going to have to play real well to get to the final. Well, good luck. And if you can't make the game on Sunday, I hope that you can make the game on Wednesday, which is against uh, Cincinnati. Is that right? Cincinnati. And featuring Yop Stam, former Man United player, as coach. Okay. <laughs> is he still just as beautifully bald? Beautifully bald, and the team is still terrible. And I think. Sorry, we, Alan. I think on Wednesday we should uh, do a tailgate traditional style. Are you in for that? I'm in. Good. I think, like, I know it's a Wednesday. I, I'll block out my work calendar. Can we do a podcast from the tailgate? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I think. You heard it here first, listeners. Uh, Mikey Dobbs, who is the technical expertise on the podcast, says it can be done. And if he says it can be done, it can be done. I think all we need is a car battery. We just need some power and we're good. <laughs> uh, all right. But everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. YouTube, subscribe. All of the major podcasters. It's easy, people. Exciting it's times. ATL on fire. It's, it's fun. And uh, let's go Atlanta United. See thanks, you everybody. next time. Cheers. Cheers.